The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Let's take out our Bibles together and go to Luke 19. I want you to uh, raise your hand if you would say you're a, a glass half full type of person. Oh boy. Our church is hurting. It wasn't even half of us. We need at least half of us to be joyful often, okay? (laughs) We need to recruit some more half full people. I ask that because of where we're headed in the sermon. Uh, Looking at the praise that he is due this morning, we focused on the power of his word, the proclamation of his position, And really, we'll rehash some of the same things we talked about this morning, but focusing on the praise that Christ is due and why he is due that praise. And again, that is just something that for me just doesn't come naturally, is praising anybody. Really, anybody in my life, praising myself or my, my kids or my spouse, she reminds me of that all the time. To be honest, and she's right. It, it's something that I need to to work on. You know, when was the last time you said something good that I have done? You're pointing out this didn't get done and this didn't get done, but what have I done, right? And I saw, I know that it's something that I that I personally struggle with. But when we look at our Lord and all that He's done for us and how we should respond to that and what our life should really be like. It really should be a life of, of praising him, of worshiping him, of honoring him. But if you're like me, which I see about 75% of you are, we fail in that. We struggle. We, we just struggle in that. And I think we struggle not necessarily because we don't think he doesn't deserve it. We don't think, you know, Christ, you don't deserve my praise and that's why I do it. I think, I think sometimes it's just a, I don't know how it should come out. I don't know what it should look like, right? I don't know how to make it real all the time. And so maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, or hopefully in reading this passage, it'll help us to at least get the truth of why we should do that in our mind so that it's something that we will start actively doing even when we don't feel like it, that hopefully eventually God will work in our lives to where we're feeling it often to praise him, to worship him, and to honor him. So we're going to focus on Luke's account here in chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 29. And I'll read all the way through verse 48, because we'll hit on all of that a little bit. It's more than what we focused on this morning. It says, And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite of you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. 
Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that made for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So we're going to look at six things, six reasons that he is due praise that we see in this passage. And as I said, some of this uh, was mentioned this morning, but it's good. I think we need to hear it uh, more than definitely more than once. But the first thing that we point out is something that we talked about this morning. And he, the praise, he is due praise because he is always in control. He is in control of all things. And because of that, he deserves our praise. As we talked about this morning, we, we fail in our own lives to control our own lives, even though we try to do that as much as we possibly do. We try to be in, in perfect control, but we all know the feeling of our plans starting to unravel. We know what that looks like when it starts and that feeling of, oh no, it started again, right? This is, this is falling apart. I, I got to try to pick this up. I got to try to figure this out or maybe even a worse feeling isn't when your plans are unraveling, but when you work underneath a boss or you work underneath, underneath a leader and you see their plans are unraveling and they're acting as if they're not. They're trying to maybe seem strong and proud or whatever it may be. And you know, we are in a sinking ship here. It is going down fast and our leader is not doing anything about it. It's all unraveling. It's all falling apart. And that can be a very scary situation to where you start to think about your own plans. Do I need to look for other work? Right? Should I, should I go figure this out? And it can be a very tense time in the life of a family in general when all of a sudden all these plans just aren't working how we had hoped that they would. But in Jesus, we see a savior and we have a savior who controls all things and is perfect in all of his ways. I really hope that the Lord will allow me uh, sometime soon to do a sermon series on the attributes of God. I, I had the privilege of, of working with a homeschool co-op in town that some of our kids are a part of. And it was, I think, 13 weeks or something like that. It was a semester that I got to go in there and do a little devotion, like 20 minutes. And we did it on the attributes of God. And I would love to, to preach through that uh, sometime because it really is a fascinating thing. But I want to talk about just three attributes of God just real quick, quickly and talking about him being in control because there's a reason that he is in control of all things. And it really points to three of his attributes. And it's the omni-attributes. It's ones that I'm sure 
you've heard of before. The fact that God is omniscient, meaning that he's all-knowing. God is all-knowing. That helps him to be in control of all things. Nothing catches him by surprise. Right? He, he knows everything that has happened, everything that will happen, all things. It, it just doesn't surprise him. Okay, But then also, he's not just omniscient, he's omnipotent. Because if we had a God who was all-knowing, right? he was an all-knowing God, yet he couldn't do anything about it, what good is that? Right? What good is that? Maybe you have someone in your family who's like that. Right? They seem to know everything, but when it comes to action, nothing. They're all talk. You don't have to, to really worry about them doing what they say they're going to do because they're just, they're just talk. But that's not the God that we serve. He's, he's all-knowing, and he's also all-powerful, but then he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. And so, again, nothing escapes him. He's, he's everywhere. And that, for us, should bring us great comfort when thinking about that he's in control of all things because this is why he can be in control of all things. He has the power to do anything, He's at the perfect place at the perfect time, all the time, right? Exactly where we need him to be, that is where he is. And this is his character. I mean, this is who he is. And this alone, if this was our only point tonight, this alone should cause us to worship him and to praise him because of his power, because of his might, because of his, the fact that he is all-knowing that all things are in his control and that his plan is perfect and that his plan will work and it does, it does work. Second, he submits to the word of God. We've seen this in this passage in the fact that he answered every prophecy completely when we looked at the proclamation of his position and we went to Zechariah and we looked at King David and Solomon and we looked at Jacob's prophecy with, with Judah and we see that Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father and to the plans of the Father. And so much so that we read in Scripture, he and the Father are one. He fulfills God's word completely. Christ fulfills it completely. In fact, he is God's word in flesh. And so when Christ speaks, we can trust it. When, When Christ moves and acts and whatever he does, it is in submission to the word of God. It's submission to the Father And again, it's a part of that perfect plan. As Christians, as evangelical Christians, I guess this is kind of fading a little bit if you uh, look at the Christian world at all, but we would say, as a church, we would stand on the fact that the Bible is inerrant, that it's infallible. Everything is right about it. There's nothing wrong in it. There is no error within Scripture. We, We hold that to be true. If that is a stance that we take, if that is something that we believe in wholeheartedly, then when we look at Jesus and we learn he is the word of God made flesh, then what else do we need to know Then we should worship him, that we should submit to him, that we should praise him, that he is the one due praise and accolades from us. If he fulfills this truth, that is 100% perfect. I don't have time tonight to go over all of the prophecies, but you can go back. It really is a fascinating thing to study, to go into the Old Testament and look at the prophecies and how Christ would even say himself, right? I did not come to destroy the law that you had, but, but actually to fulfill every jot, every tittle, 
right? I'm going to dot every I. I'm going to cross every T perfectly. And that alone deserves praise and deserves adoration. The third thing, we talked about this some this morning as well, is his humility. He deserves our praise because of his humility. I really can't think of any other religion that praises the humility of their Savior or that praises the humility of their God. I mean, when we look at these other gods that are worshipped out there with the Greek gods and the, the Norse gods and um, all these other things, there's, they're, they're mighty, right? And they're strong. And that's what's really talked about. Or, or even the Muslims, if you were to talk to the Muslims about Muhammad and what they think about Muhammad, really the picture that would come into their mind is Muhammad coming into Mecca after conquering Mecca on his war horse with 10,000 warriors behind him because Muhammad was a warrior. Muhammad was a general. He fought in many battles, led, led armies. And so that is part of <clears throat> what they honor him for. And so when you look at all these different gods out there that people worship, that people serve, and you see the, the might behind them or the fact you know they're throwing lightning bolts down or whatever the, the case might be, and then you look at this passage that we're looking at uh, this morning and then tonight of our Savior riding on some donkey with a band of 12 guys around him who are nothing. They're not warriors. They're, they're fishermen. They're just common thieves, tax collectors, things like that. That's the guys that are surrounding him. People from Jerusalem coming out and putting their, no doubt, dirty clothes on the ground, breaking sticks in the trees and putting it on the ground. You see this very weak display of majesty. And so no doubt, people from other religions, sure, they look at that, they think, <laughs> of course my God's way better than yours. But we know that the humility of our God was very important. It wasn't because he's puny. It's not because he's weak. It's not because he's unworthy. In fact, we praise Jesus because his humility shows us his worthiness to give everything for the Father, for the will of the Father, to obey the Father in victory over death and sin. And in fact, if it was not for the humility of Christ, there would be no salvation. If he wasn't willing to obey his Father all the way to the cross, if that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane didn't end with, but Father, your will, not mine, there would be no salvation for us. It took Christ's humility and his humble attitude to take him to the cross in order for us to be saved. And so again, when we're talking about why should I praise Jesus? Well, because of his humility should be one. And the fact that he was humble enough to do that for me, I should then pour out praise and adoration on him that he was willing to do that in my place when I was undeserving. The fourth reason this kind of goes with the last one. But he alone can save. Only he can save. It doesn't say this in Luke's passage, but it says it in Matthew's and I believe the other ones as well. But we see the crowd shouting a particular word and they shout Hosanna. And it's the word that uh, we would use even on Palm Sunday. You see in the program, right? People shout Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means 
Save, I pray. Save me. I mean, that, that's what it means. And so when Jesus is, is going into Jerusalem, the crowd is saying, save us, right? Save me. They wanted salvation and they wanted salvation from the oppressors that they saw around them. The Romans, they wanted to be, they wanted to be free. And they don't realize in the words that they are shouting again is very prophetic. Uh, the, the, what they're going to get is salvation, but not in the way that they think it's going to come, right? It's not going to come Jesus going and destroying the, the Romans and conquering them. No, it's him going to the cross to save them of their sins. And we know that Jesus is the only one who is able to do that because he's the only one who's ever lived a perfect life. And a perfect life is what it took. That was the sacrifice that was needed for your sins and for my sins to be forgiven. This harkens back again to the Passover. And I don't think I talked about this this morning. But in, this, in the Passover, they would, they would kill the lamb, right? An unblemished, spotless lamb. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine as parents or as grandparents today of getting your family together, right? We, we'll, we'll compare it to Easter, I guess. For us, Easter is usually a joyous time. We, we like Easter. The kids are excited. Uh, we're going to eat good food, all this stuff. Spring is here. It's getting a little warm out maybe. But you take part of your time together. You say, all right, everybody, let's gather around. Get, gather around. And you, and you bring the little sheep over. And you say, hey, kids, you remember? Let's feed them one more time. Let's bottle feed the sheep. Okay, now, okay. The sheep is happy. What are we going to do next, Grandpa? Go get the knife. How appalling would that be in our families today? Honestly, that would take us back. But there was a reason that God had them do that during the Passover. It was to show them your sin equals death and something must die for your sin. And, and how... I don't know how they felt necessarily, but I know for me, because that's just so foreign to me, the guilt that would weigh on me to think that that thing has to die because of my sin. I know it's just an animal and so whatever, but that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. But that's what the Jews would do. They would sacrifice that lamb and then they would take it a step further. They would eat it. They would, they would cook it and eat it as part, of the, as part of the meal. And what Jesus is for us and the reason that this had to be done during the Passover is because Jesus was that spotless lamb, that perfect sacrifice that would be raised up on that cross to die for my sins. So that when I look at that cross, well, the light's not on, it's supposed to be, but it's not. But when we look at that cross up there, so a lot of people in our church really love that thing because it came from our old building. They get mad when the light's not on. Maybe you, that was you a little bit ago. But what we, what we see, what we see up there is he died because of me, because of my sin. Not because of his sin, but because of my sin. And Jesus was the only one that could do it. Because of his perfection, he was the one who would bear God's wrath in my place. He's the one that would take the sword, who would take the beatings. He's the one that would go into the grave, not me. And so when we ask this question, 
Why do we praise him? If the praises do him, what for? I can think of no better answer than because he alone is worthy to save you. Nobody else can save you. One of the things that I find very difficult uh, with being glass half empty guy up here is you'll notice I never put a bumper sticker on my car. I, I don't, I'm not even really comfortable anymore wearing uh, like collegiate shirts and things like that. I have some from a long time ago that I still wear, but I get nervous nowadays just aligning with anybody or anything. I don't know why that is. I think it's just nobody's perfect and we like to pick on anything. And I guess uh, I get really nervous that somebody would see Pastor Tim has a Michigan thing on his car for the University of Michigan. And you know, they cheat. He must, he must agree with cheating. I mean, that just must be what he thinks is right. right? I get nervous about that. And so I get very nervous about aligning anything or, or really praising anybody. But we see that in our society, do we not? We praise people. We give them accolades. I think tonight is the Oscars, which to me is one of the most ridiculous things in the world. I just think that's the dumbest uh, thing, um, personally. But what are they doing? They're giving all these accolades to these, to these people. Uh, the people that are nominated, I heard, get bags worth $200,000 of gifts as if they need it at all. They already could afford all that stuff. Uh, but they throw this on them. They're going to bring them on stage. It's all golden, right? It's, it really is a worship experience to praise the goodness and the talent of those people and of what they do. When I look at things like that, I realize the truth of Scripture, and I realize as I look at all the athletes and all the people who we tend to praise, but I realize this, they cannot save me. In fact, I would dare say, if I was about to get hit by a bus and they could save me, they probably would not. They wouldn't even notice me, because I'm nothing. I'm I'm nobody to them. But yet... I have a savior who would go to the cross. He lived perfectly. If there ever was a bumper sticker to put on my car, it would be Jesus. Because you're not going to say anything negative about him that is true because he was perfect morally. He's perfect in righteousness. You can't touch him. And he would go and die on the cross for me. So I asked, why would I praise him? Well, I think that's a pretty good reason. And that was number four of six. The fifth reason, I just added this when I was sitting up here. We see this in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 41 through 44. There's an interesting thing that happens as Jesus gets near to Jerusalem and it it says he he weeps over the city. I think this kind of goes with what we talked about last week with Lazarus and Jesus weeping. Again, I think there's a lot of things going on with Christ's humanity and uh, him understanding, uh, being one with the Father and all the things that are going on. He, he knows as he's going into town, all these people are going to run away in a few days. The disciples who are putting their coats on the ground, they're gone. Right? The people who are praising me pretty soon are going to be shouting, crucify him. He, he knows this stuff. But then all of that aside, he sees the city coming. And he looks at the city and the Bible tells us that he weeps over the city. And he says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, 
but now they are hidden from your eyes. Then he goes on to say, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Christ, again, looking ahead to when Jerusalem would be destroyed and his heart breaking because the people just don't get it. The people just don't understand. It even says in there, right, it says your eyes, uh, it's hidden from your eyes. Right? It wasn't time for them to see yet, but it's hidden from your eyes. And in Christ, we see his compassion for people here. And his heart almost breaking, not because he's about to go and die and be broken, but because of what's going to happen to the city. He, he sees that. He, he knows that in his omniscience. And his heart is broken. And what love the Father has for us, we see that all throughout Scripture, the compassion that he has for, for his children. The fact that he would love a sinner like you and I shows great compassion for us. Well, then lastly, number six, the praise he is due is because he is always just. He is always just. We get to the end in verse 45 through 48. We see him enter into the temple and he begins to drive out those within the temple who are buying and selling things. And he says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. So he would go into this temple and he would judge the people in there and he would judge them because he knew their sin and he knew that it needed to be dealt with. This had to be a very interesting scene to be a part of. I don't know what the disciples felt like at this time. I don't know if they were like, yes, go get them. If they, or if they were a little appalled, like, whoa, we hadn't, what is going on? You know, this isn't like you or whatever may be. But he goes in and he's, he's judging these people. And again, we, we see this being foretold in Malachi chapter three, verse one and two, it says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. What we see happening here, Danny Aiken would say it this way. We see Jesus start the refining here in the temple. Right? He's starting the refining process. He's beginning to judge those within the temple for the sins that they are committing of basically stealing and robbing these people as they're coming in, trying to offer sacrifices and trying to serve the Lord faithfully. He starts the refining here in the temple, but we know that he ends up finishing the refining on the cross. Right? He, he finishes it up on the cross. And we see within this his, his perfect justice. It's absolutely perfect. It cannot be questioned. And it is a justice that we must stand before as well. We must stand before the refiner's fire. But we know after studying Galatians together that it's not based on us and how we come out of the refiner's fire, but it's that Christ has done it for us, right? That it's his righteousness that stands and it stands in our place and we are thankful that Christ has done that for us. And it says in this justice, in this judgment, 
Only those who've drank from that free living water that we talked about in Revelation this morning, only those who have done that will be forgiven and set free. Not, not everybody. And now this is the hard part. Because in God's justice, we need to praise him on both ends of it. This is where I think it gets really difficult. I know it does for me. We go to a funeral and we know that there was just a, a faithful lover of the Lord. And we praise, right? We, we thank God that they're home with him and we trust in that. And we trust in his hope. But when we come to like a, a funeral of someone that we're just not sure, in fact, all signs would point to the fact that they're lost. I think we get kind of in a pickle. We have great compassion, do we not, in our humanity to say, and that's horrible. I wish they would have trusted in Christ. I wish that they would have believed in him so that they could have spent eternity with him. But something else that we must understand is that perfect justice really was served. And I know that's really hard for us to talk about. And I know that's hard for us to grasp. But they did not surrender to God. They did not love God. And in his perfect justice, because of their sin, they must deal with his wrath for eternity. And we can't look at God and say, how dare you? We cannot look at God and say the timing wasn't right. Instead, we still have to look at God and say, you are a God of perfect justice and I trust in you. And actually, your justice should cause me to praise you. I know that's a hard thing to think about, but it is true because when we see him going to the temple and do what he did, that's what he's doing is he is acting out his justice and he is laying it out there. And we must be willing to praise him in his justice. And so we had six things. I just want to mention them to you again. We worship him because he is always in control. We worship him because he submits to God's word. We worship him in his humility. We worship him because he alone can save. We worship him because of his compassion. And we worship him because he is always just. I don't have any notes for this point, but these are just some of my thoughts of how does that come out? How do, how do we praise him? How do we, how do we do that accurately? And maybe I'm not the best one to talk about that always, but I don't think that God requires us to run around and act crazy to praise him. I don't think it necessarily means being loud and boisterous all the time. Although I do think sometimes maybe that is how it should be where we need to speak up. I, I think what we need to practice as Christians when it comes to praising the Lord is number one, understanding and holding on to these truths wholeheartedly. Saying, Christ, I believe this is who you are and holding that in our heart. Listen, you can give lip service all day to people, but it doesn't mean it's true praise and it's true worship. It first has to be done in your heart. And so holding on to these truths of saying, God, I believe this no matter what, I believe this regardless. I trust in you and your word. But then I do think that it needs to come out of our life. And it, it comes out, at least this is what I really believe scripture leads us to. It comes out to service to him, to faithfully serving him in all areas of our life. Not just in this room when we gather together, not just in your car when you're singing at the top of your lungs, 
uh, when nobody's around. But I mean in the minute details of everything. Wives, when you sacrifice yourself for your husband or, or some, something for your husband. Or husbands, when you love your wives just unconditionally on a Tuesday. You know, when we, when we faithfully do these things, I, I believe that's how we show our praise and our adoration to him to say, Christ, this is me laying my life at your feet consistently because of who you are. This is my praise. My praise is my life. It's everything. It's who I am. Again, some of you will be much better at the vocal stuff. Some of you are encouragers. You know, some of you have these gifts and you need to use those gifts. And that's how you praise the Lord. Some of you are, are very faithful in prayer. God has led you to that. That's, that's an interesting thing. You know, some of the biggest kickback I've got since being pastor is our Wednesday nights, changing that to prayer meeting. Uh, some people don't like that it's a prayer meeting. That they, they want Bible study. And while I respect that and while I understand that, Jesus right here said what? My house should be a house of prayer, a house of prayer. And if I, I've been in this church, how old am I? I am 37, 37. I have been gone six years total that I know of from this church. This is just my perspective. I don't know if I could say that this has been a house of prayer ever in my time where we actually faithfully just prayed a lot, just prayed a lot. I'm not saying there weren't faithful prayer people. I'm not saying we didn't have prayer meetings, but I just have known Bible studies and Bible studies, and we've called it prayer meeting and it was Bible studies, but just times of prayer. And to me, that's praise, times of praise to the Lord for me to praise him in my prayer. God, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. You deserve this time. You deserve to hear from us. You deserve to hear us cry out to you. This is our act of praise. This is our act of adoration. We're coming to you because you've asked us to come to you. And oh, we're busy and we think other things could be better. But no, you've called us to pray. And so we want to pray. And this is how we praise you. I hope you're able to praise him. I hope that you're much better at it than me, if I'm honest with you. I hope that you will lift these things up to the Lord because of who he is, because of what he has done. He is a good God. We have a good savior who deserves our everything, who deserves our all, even when we don't feel like it. You know, I've, I've heard people ask before, should you force people to come to church when their heart isn't in it? You know, is that really right? Should they fake it till they, till they make it? Have you ever heard that before? Fake it till you make it. Well, I'll say this with praise, fake it till you make it. Keep doing it very faithfully. Keep working on it and praying that God would use it in your heart to where you are just consistently and constantly praising him because, listen, he's worthy. Oh, he rode into that town looking weak, but he rode in as king of kings and lord of lords. And we get to be a part of that, of which I'm thankful. Let's bow together and let's pray. God, help us to praise you like we should. God, I know in my life, prayer is just one of those things. That's why I've been talking about it a lot, where I've seen failure in praising you through prayer. Uh, 
God, I bent much more towards, hey, let's study, let's go visit, let's go do this, let's get this done. And so, God, I know I talk about that a lot, but that's more because of it's uh, in my heart personally to try to get better at that. But God, we need to praise you. You alone are worthy of praise. We are so quick to throw our praise around to people, to things, to hobbies, to people we don't even know, people we've never even talked to. God, help us to be quick to praise you. When we're at work and we're talking with people and they ask, hey, how was your weekend? To maybe be really quick to say, you know, God gave us a wonderful time in worship. And I'm thankful that he did that. God, I know that that might sound crazy to the person that we're talking to, but God, I pray that that would be real in our hearts. That we want to lift you up in all opportunities, not to back away from that. God, that we would trust in the power of your word like we talked about this morning, to work in people's hearts. And God, we trust it to work in our hearts. So God, help us to be faithful and praise. Forgive us where we fall short of that. But God, I pray that we would give our lives to you in praise. Give our lives to you as an offering to lay at your feet and to do the things that you have called us to do because of what you've done for us. God, I'm thankful for the people who are here tonight. And I know it's getting uh, wet and slippery and everything else outside. I pray that you'd be with all of us as we travel home and give us safety as we travel God, for each one of us in here, I pray that you would give us boldness, give us courage, give us an excitement inside of our heart because of you, because of who you are, because of what you do. God, just give us boldness to share with those around us, even within our own house. Give us boldness to speak together within our own house about your goodness, to continue to remind each other and to push each other towards good works that it says in your word. So God, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray all these things now in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.